I'm going to speak to you tonight about the rapture of the church and this is one of the great doctrines uh, that we believe for those of us who take the scriptures literally and as we work our way through we come to this doctrine. So I'm hoping that uh, tonight if this is an area that's been a, a little bit unclear for you it'll certainly become clearer and uh the good news is that there's a set of notes at the end, uh, so nobody's going to expect you to remember everything I'm going to say. Uh, I was a teacher for nearly 20 years, and uh, now I've been a pastor for another almost 30 years, so that makes me getting on a little bit. But uh, I've, I've put notes because I always put a lot of detail in. The reason I put the detail in is I want you to know where this comes from. It's not something that I made up. It's not a story that I told. So be good Bereans. Go home with your notes, get your scripture out and have a look for yourself. And if you have any questions, uh, then I'm very easy to, to find. You can go through uh, Pastor John uh, or simply my name, C. Lituri at F-O-I, Friends of Israel, dot org, O-R-G. And you can write to me and I'll do the best I can to answer questions uh, via your uh, email. One other thing to mention for those who haven't been here, uh, we have a magazine that comes out uh, bi-monthly. This is called Israel My Glory. This has been coming out now since uh, 1948 um, and it's been around uh, a lot of homes uh, around the place. There are, I know there are lots of people who really enjoy the teaching. This one, this month is about uh, Israel making a difference and uh, it's talking about somebody who's been on a trip of a lifetime to Israel, three reasons why I support Israel, five, ac- fa- five facts you should know about Israel. That's what's in this particular one this time. If you've never received it before and you would like to receive it for one year so that you can work out whether you would like to receive it beyond that, uh, then we can give you a free subscription. There's a, a form like this. My wife will be at the table at the back. You just fill that out. Uh, and uh, you will receive those in the mail. And if at any time you want to cancel, that's fine. You just let us know and we'll, we'll cancel. But in terms of payment, that would be after one year and you would be asked, do you want to continue? Because ultimately somebody has to pay uh, for the magazine. So, But for one year it's free. If you would also like to know what my wife and I are doing with ministry, there's a little part down the bottom here in red and you just place a tick in that little box there and I'll put you on our mailing list. Let me pray and then we'll get right into God's word. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening. It's right in the middle of the week. For most of us, we'd normally be at home, perhaps doing some other things, perhaps even preparing for bed. But Lord, tonight there's an opportunity for us to open your precious word to learn some things about the future those things that you have told us so that we might be prepared for that wonderful time that is coming, known as the rapture of the church, the snatching away of the believers. Father, this is not an easy doctrine to understand for many people. And so I pray, Lord, that tonight you will be our teacher, that by your Holy Spirit you will take your word and you will open everybody's minds to understand and to be able to put all of these details together so that they will understand what this doctrine is all about. Father, the most important doctrine of all is the doctrine of salvation. We thank you, Lord God, for your love and your grace and your mercy, your your compassion, uh, your guidance, uh, all of those things that you give us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for a Saviour who gave himself fully holding nothing back so that every sin of our life might be dealt with and that the opportunity might be open for all who will place their faith in our Lord Jesus to receive eternal life and fellowship with you day by day. So thank you for that, dear Father. And now as we think of our Lord Jesus, we think that there's a time coming when he's coming again and we look forward to all the blessings that that involves. So please be our instructor now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As the Lord Jesus gathered together with his disciples for the Last Supper, 
he told them some very disturbing things about what was shortly to happen. Now, we're not going to turn it up, but according to John chapter 13, he told them, first of all, that one of their number would betray him. Uh, Then, uh, down in verse 33, he would be going away and they would not be able to follow him. And then down in verse 38, even Peter would deny he knew Jesus that very night. Now, with information like that, you can only imagine what the confusion must have been like for his disciples. The Lord's been with them. He's been their rock. He's been the the solid one. He's the one that's got them through these, these last three years or so, and now there's confusion and heaviness in the room with Jesus having said these things. But then he followed up those things with these wonderful words of encouragement. And this is going to be one of three key texts for us tonight. This is the first key text. It's John chapter 14. Nope. There we go. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. And this is what he said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So in this text we see he didn't want them to be agitated in their their thoughts or their hearts by the things that would soon happen because they were going to be pretty dramatic things that would happen with his arrest and crucifixion and all the rest of it. Instead, they were to place their faith in him because he was going to do something incredible. In the same way that a bridegroom in the Jewish tradition would go back to his father's house to build on extra rooms in preparation to receive his bride, Jesus was going to prepare a place for his followers. Where is this place? This place was in heaven, in his father's house. And at the appropriate time, he would come again to take them, to be with him where he is in heaven. What an incredible promise that was to give to his disciples, particularly in the context of what they were going through, and particularly now for us, 2,000 years later, as we think, what do these words mean to us? Now, did Jesus mean when they died, they'd go to be in the Father's house? Is that what he was talking about? Well, the wording clearly suggests that he was coming to get them at a particular time in the future. So what was Jesus referring to? And when would it happen? Well, as part of the answer, we need to move forward about 20 years from when that promise was made. In Acts chapter 17, we read about Paul on his second missionary journey when he visited Thessalonica, where a great number of people became followers of Jesus. Later, he wrote to this church saying this, This is 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 to 10. He says, Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us, from the wrath to come. Now we've got a very packed statement, particularly in what I've got here on the screen. They turned away from paganism. They turned away from idolatry. They started to serve the true and living God. And they were waiting for his son from heaven. And more than that, he adds, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now from the tone of Paul's letter, And the things he writes, two things are very evident here. The first is that he must have spoken to them about these things before. Secondly, the theme 
of Christ's return was uppermost in his thinking. And we find, if we read through uh, 1 Thessalonians, he constantly comes back to this theme. It's all the way through that first letter. Let me read some of it to you. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now we see similar endings to that also with chapters 4 and 5. Now some of the Thessalonians had obviously understood that Paul's teaching on the Lord's return, or at least what they understood of it, was that in his teaching about the Lord's return, it would happen in the immediate future, even in their own lifetimes. So when believers among them started to die, they were perplexed. What part do these ones have in the Lord's return? As a result, when we get to chapter 4 from verse 13, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting from verse 13 and following, Paul launched into a very detailed teaching to set their minds at ease concerning the step-by-step manner of Jesus' return for believers. So here's the second of our key passages. This is 1 Thessalonians. You might like to turn this one up if you've got a Bible with you. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. Now, just before I put it up there, I want to say to you uh, the, the next couple of important key passages that I'm going to share with you have got bookends. So it's like it's got a beginning, it's got an end, and everything that comes in between fits beautifully between those bookends. Let me explain. Here's the first bookend. Verse 13. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So Paul didn't want them to be ignorant, and that word ignorant there simply means uninformed or without proper knowledge, or to have sorrow like the world's sorrow. Inscriptions in tombs, as well as references in literature of that time, indicated that pagans were absolutely fearful of death. They were so afraid of dying because they felt it was the end and they just didn't know what what, what does that mean? It's the end of everything for them. But the Christian message came in stark contrast to that idea, and of course so it is today. And often when we conduct a funeral, I'm not quite sure what Pastor John does here, but when I was conducting funerals, uh, I would quote these verses, because these verses are wonderful verses to give us hope. Many years ago, uh, two of our two sons played football with a, a young man. And uh, this young man uh, was a nice young fellow. His parents were nice people. Uh, after the football years were over, we didn't see them for a number of years. And then we had a craft group in our church. And one day I saw this lady turn up. Her name was Trish. And uh, Trish just turned up in the, in the group of ladies. We had about 70 or 80 ladies who used to come to the craft group but she didn't look well at all. And I went down to her and, and uh, how are you going? And she said, I have terminal cancer. And she said, uh, my friends thought it would be good for me to get out and do some things to occupy my mind and everything. I didn't quite know what to say to her other than to say, would you like me to pray for you? She said, no, no, I don't believe in that stuff. No, I don't want you to pray for me. Well, about two months passed and it was obvious she was getting very weak and uh, one day I was sitting and, and chatting with her and we had, we had quite a, a talk about what she was going through and she was telling me and I said, Trish, there's nobody here, there's just you and me 
I, I would really love to pray for you. Will you let me do that? And she said, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I've never believed that stuff. I don't believe it now. I believe when you're dead, you're dead. I said, that's fine, Trish. I, I said, I'm not trying to make you do anything you don't want to do. As she died about two weeks later. I went to her funeral. It was a large funeral because she was only 47. And uh, at that funeral, uh, the funeral was taken by a young lady, uh, perhaps in her late 20s. Uh, she was a funeral celebrant. And she talked about how Trish is gone now. All you have are your memories. Uh, there is nothing else. Everything else of Trish is completely gone. There will never be anything else. And I remember sitting there, or I wasn't sitting actually, we're all standing because there wasn't room to sit. But I remember standing there and thinking to myself, no hope. No hope. And everybody was so forlorn and it was so sad and the family were crying. And We do not sorrow as others who have no hope. Folks, we have a hope in Jesus Christ so that we do not have to sorrow because we don't know what's coming in the future. We do know what's coming in the future. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what's coming in the future. Verse 14, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, to sleep in Jesus is a euphemism. You know, we use another euphemism. We say somebody has passed away. What we mean is they've died. It's as simple as that. A person who was once alive is no longer alive. And here, they're using, Paul is using the euphemism of sleep. God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now, there's no such thing as soul sleep. I don't know if you've ever heard of that doctrine. That is not a Christian doctrine. Uh, this is simply giving an image. They sleep in Jesus because they are at rest in Jesus, but they're not sleeping. So God will bring with him, ah, that's interesting, God will bring with him, that's with Jesus, those who sleep in him. How is God going to bring with Jesus those who are passed from this life? Well, we come again to what I mentioned a moment ago, a moment ago where are they right now? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8 says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent or away from the body and to be present or at home with the Lord. Philippians 1, 21 to 23, For, me, for to me to live is Christ, Paul says, and to die is gain. I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart from the body, and to be or to exist with Christ, which is far better. So Paul continues now and he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Okay, those who are asleep are going to come with Jesus. But we who are alive and remain will by no means precede them. Precede them in what? We will not precede them in resurrection. Those who are alive at the time will not be resurrected before those who have died. Let me expand that thought a little for you. First of all, by going to Paul himself. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So let's get this right. Somebody passes away and their body is put in the, the, the tomb or is cremated or whatever the process might be, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. The body is on the earth. Where is the spirit? The spirit goes absent from the body, now present with the Lord. So those, our loved ones, are present with the Lord right now. It's their spirit who's there. And when Jesus comes, their spirit will come with them and there is going to be a resurrection. 
a resurrection of the body. And they will receive a resurrected body. The dead in Christ will rise, this is in resurrection, first. Now, there's a few really interesting things here. The Lord himself will come down. Not an angel, not a delegate, the Lord himself. And and we've heard these words before. Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. It'll be personal. It'll be physical. He will come. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And probably, we don't know what the shout will be, but probably to call people out of the grave. With the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will be resurrected first. And then verse 17 says that those who are still alive at that time will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. We who are alive, we who are still in these bodies, they're resurrected first. Well, what about us? There's going to be a translation of our mortal bodies to the glorified body. And we're all going to rise up. And look where it says, we're going to rise up, caught up together with them in the clouds. This isn't the second coming, folks. We're caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's what this is talking about. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, Paul says. I love that. We're never going to be separated again. And he concludes with the other bookend. The other bookend is, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, this event that we're talking about here, where the Lord is going to come in the air, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead and join back to their spirits. Those who are Christians, of course, we're not talking about everybody, we're talking about those who are believers, we will be changed, we will be uh, given our glorified body and we're all going to meet together in the air. Now, there are some people who say, oh, yes, yes, we believe in the in the rapture of the church uh, in this sense. As the Lord is coming back down to the earth in his second coming, people will rise up to meet him and then they'll come back down to the earth with him. Well, why didn't Paul say that? He didn't say that. He said, we're going to rise to meet the Lord in the air and he leaves it there. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. So there's no talk here of the second coming. And those who try to make this part of the second coming are adding something that Paul didn't. Even though he had lots of opportunity to, he was writing it after all. So this event that we've just been talking about here is referred to as the rapture of the church, or if you like, the rapture of the redeemed. Now, rapture is not a word that's used in our English Bible. I I, I work in this area all of the time. And, you know, people come along and they say, The word rapture isn't in the Bible. You've probably heard that. Well, it's not in our English Bible. Yes, absolutely, you're dead right. But it is in the Latin Bible. It's in the Vulgate. In the original language, what have we got here? We've got the Greek word, which is hapadzo. And hapadzo means to snatch away, to seize, to pluck, to catch up. The word rapture that we use comes from the Latin translation of hapadzo because the Latin translation of hapadzo is rapturo and rapturo means to be caught up. So it's just a different word. If you like, let's not talk about the rapture of the church, let's talk about the hapadzo of the church and then we'll all know what we're talking about because that's what it is. It's a snatching away, a catching up to be with the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. There's no more separation, ever, ever, ever. So, what is the rapture of the church by definition? The rapture of the church is an event where all who have put their trust in Christ, living and deceased, will suddenly be caught up from earth, 
be joined with Christ in the air and taken to heaven. Now some have mockingly said, oh yes, the secret rapture thing. We, we don't believe in the secret rapture. I don't believe in a secret rapture either. There's nothing going to be secret about this when millions of people disappear from the earth. That's not going to be a secret. The whole idea is that it's going to be sudden. Nobody will know when the time will come. It will happen tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month. I don't know. It'll be sudden, but it won't be secret. And it's imminent. Now, what does that word imminent mean? Imminent means it could happen at any time without any warning. Let me go to a third text to fill in some of the details because some of you might be saying, hmm, we, we jumped a couple of things there. Can you tell me a little bit more about what's actually happening? Sure. Let's go to our third text to fill in some details. So our third key text is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 53. Now, this is in the great resurrection chapter of Corinthians. And this is what Paul says. Now, this I say, brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So this wonderful passage, and, and I really encourage you, if you haven't for a while, read all of 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection passage. Because these, these verses have bookends too. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Yep, you got that clear? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, we'll come back to the other book in shortly. In verse 51, he says, this is a mystery. This is a mystery. Behold, I tell you, a mysterion is the word. That's the Greek word. Behold, I tell you, a mysterion. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. Isn't that astounding that Paul could make a comment like that? In all of our lives, all we've ever known is that everything has a beginning and it has an ending. A life starts, it grows, it fades, it dies. New life starts, etc. And the cycle continues. What's the old saying? Uh, Nothing like death and taxes. The two things that you can be absolutely assured of. Uh, But Paul says we shall not all sleep. We're not all all going to die. So this is revealing a mystery. What is a mystery? A mystery in the scripture is something we would never have known unless God had chosen to reveal it to us. We would never know otherwise. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we, uh, we shall all be changed. All be changed. And then he goes through uh, to, to say how this change is going to take place. He says, uh, well, what are, what are we going to be changed to, by the way? We're, we're going to be made different. We're going to be transformed. Well, that's when we receive this glorified body I mentioned before. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 8.23 concerning, and this is what he said, the redemption of our body. To the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 21, he wrote that Christ, listen to this one, will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. That's pretty clear, isn't it? He's going to transform this lowly body, this body that gets sick, this body that is weak, this body that dies, and he's going to transform it to be like his glorified body. Wow, we're going to be like Jesus was after he was resurrected. 
And when will it happen? Verse 52 says it will happen in a moment. In a moment. Well, let's go back to the Greek. It'll happen in an atomos. Now you've heard that word before, haven't you? The word atom. Atom is the smallest particle of matter. It cannot be divided. You can't get any smaller. So Paul says here, it will happen in such a small period of time you can't even divide it. It's not even a fraction of a second. It's so small you can't divide it. It's going to happen very very quickly. And then he says, if you haven't quite got the idea yet, it'll be in the twinkling of an eye. Well, some people say, oh, twinkling of an eye, is that like when we blink? No, no. The twinkling of an eye is how long it takes for the light to hit your eye and reflect. Not a long period of time. In an atomos, in the twinkling of an eye. And then it says the trumpet will sound and dead believers will be raised with their glorified bodies. And then verse 53, he goes on and uh, he says that living believers will also be changed and receive their glorified bodies. And uh, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We shall be changed, those still alive. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So that's the other book in. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. We're all going to be changed into a glorified body. See the two bookends? And it's going to happen so quickly I can't even demonstrate it to you. Faster than that light is shining off my eye. That's amazing. Tim LaHaye in his book Rapture Under Attack gave his impression of this time and this is what he wrote. I expect the rapture to be electrifyingly sudden but not secret. For when Christ calls his living saints to be with him, millions of people will suddenly vanish from the earth. An unsaved person who happens to be in the company of a believer will know immediately that his friend has vanished. There will certainly be worldwide recognition of the fact for if over 200 million people or so suddenly depart this earth, leaving their earthly belongings behind, pandemonium and confusion will certainly reign for a time. A million conversations will end mid-sentence. A million phone receivers will suddenly go dead. A woman shall reach out for a man's hand in the dark and no one will be there. Think of the countless homes where in the twinkling of an eye only clothes will remain in the chair where a believer sat moments before. Consider the passengers aboard airplanes with a Christian crew. Many believe that the rapture will result in titanic chaos as Christian auto and bus drivers, train engineers, pilots and others suddenly vanish. The rapture just may create the greatest freeway gridlock in history. I think that's probably a pretty good description. It would seem evident that the three texts we've looked at today all speak of one event. So let me put them all together into the sequence of steps that seems to be indicated. So I call this the order of the rapture. Here's the first thing. The Lord himself will... Sorry, I'm a... I missed one. The Lord himself will descend. Where's he going to descend from? From his father's house where he prepares a place for his bride. He's coming to receive us to himself. He will bring the spirits of those who sleep in Jesus with him. Secondly, the Lord shouts as he descends. It says, with a loud command. Some have speculated, and we can't do anything more than speculate, in the same way that Jesus called Lazarus from the tomb, Perhaps it'll be the same thing. Colin, come out or come up or whatever it may be. The third thing, we will hear the voice of the archangel in the trumpet call of God. This is 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Now, his last trumpet, this is his last trumpet call for the church. 
Don't get it confused with the seventh trumpet of Revelation 11.15. That's a completely different trumpet and that has to do with judgment upon the earth. It's nothing to do with the rapture of the church. The dead in Christ will rise first. So the corruptible ashes of dead bodies are made incorruptible and joined together with their spirit which Jesus brings with him. And those who are still alive upon the earth, living believers, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, will be made incorruptible, our bodies made immortal. Then we shall be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is 1 Thessalonians 4.17 and we can relate now back to Jesus' words, to receive you to myself. So Jesus takes us back to the Father's house, that where I am, there you may be also. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord, Paul writes. So this is the great doctrine of the rapture of the church. Now the question on everybody's lips is, well, well, when's it going to happen? I don't know. None of us knows. But we do know this. We know it's certainly imminent. There's certainly not going to be any warning. In 1 Thessalonians 1.10, Paul wrote to them to wait for his son from heaven. And it's a very interesting construction that he used in those words. He's telling the, the, the Thessalonians to wait for his son, uh, for uh, God's son from heaven. Now, that's written in what we call the present continuous tense, and it means this. You should be waiting as if it's about to happen. And you should be waiting as if it's about to happen. And you should be waiting as if it's about to happen. And you should be waiting as if it's about to happen. It's just a continuous present tense, always waiting as if it's about to happen. That's the doctrine of imminency. We don't know when, but we know when that time comes. It's going to come suddenly and at a time when we're not expecting it. Now we do believe the rapture will take place before the great tribulation on the earth. Why would I say that? Well, briefly, the rapture and the second coming of Christ are two distinct events. With the rapture, the Lord is coming in the air. Paul doesn't give us any more detail about the second coming. He just comes in the air and we rise to meet him in the clouds, in the air. In the second coming, Christ is coming down to the earth and his feet will touch uh, down on the Mount of Olives as we talked about the other day. In the rapture, the Lord is coming for his people. In the second coming, the Lord is coming with his people. You see, that's when we come back with him. The rapture brings blessing. The second coming is going to bring judgment to those who are upon the earth. In the rapture, the destination is with Christ in heaven. In the second coming, the destination is a kingdom on earth. The second thing that we can pick up, texts, various texts, indicate the church will not pass through the time of wrath. Now, the time that is coming is described in this way, and I'm reading from the NIV here in Matthew 24, 21. Great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. That's how the tribulation period, that seven-year period, is described by Jesus. Great distress unparalleled from the beginning of the world until now. If we get an opportunity to go through the studies on end times, uh, perhaps later on, uh, you will see what Jesus was talking about. I don't want to be there. There is scriptural evidence that the church is not included in the time of wrath. Revelation 3.10 because you've kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial 
which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now just pick up those words. I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. So he wasn't talking about just a a little group who are being persecuted in one area. This is a trial that's going to come upon everybody. And it's going to come to test those who dwell on the earth. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we read it before, to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most convincing arguments for me, if I need arguments, is that the church is not mentioned at all from Revelation 6 through to Revelation 18 while the judgments are being poured out on the earth. There is no mention of the church. Now, some of you are going to say, well, hold on a minute, whoa, it talks about saints. It talks about people being persecuted who are believers. Yes, and it also gives you the name of those people. They're called tribulation saints or those who came out of the tribulation. There will be people who will come to the Lord in the time of tribulation. But for most of them, they will have to give their lives as a result of the persecution they're going through. But the church is not mentioned at all from Revelation 6 through 18 when judgments are being poured out on the earth. I wish I was here for another month. It would be great to go through some of this other stuff while it's very fresh in your mind because it's just astounding what the scripture tells us. When you look at the Old Testament, you look at the book of Revelation, when you look at, uh, you know, different parts of the New Testament, when you put it all together and you see how God has laid it out step by step by step by step. It's just astounding to see how God has set that out. The next thing is Daniel's 70 weeks as mentioned in Daniel 9, 24 to 27, only applies to Israel. And 69 of those weeks are gone. Somebody was talking to me about this before. There's one week to go. The one week that's to go is the seven years of tribulation. So it's one week of years. Don't ask me to explain that to you right now, but just trust me, that's what it is. So all of the rest of the years have already passed in the prophecy with coming of Messiah and the things that would happen And then there's been a hiatus and then it's going to kick off again into the 70th week at the time of the tribulation. But that applies to to Israel. It doesn't apply to the church. The next one is that the, the Lord's return is imminent. But the second coming can be worked out once end times begin. Soon as we know that end times begin, and how do we know it when it's begun? It's when Antichrist signs a covenant with the nation of Israel. A seven-year covenant he signs with them. That's when the, 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 the clock starts ticking. So you can count off the days because it tells us the exact number of days until Christ will then come after that. Antichrist cannot be revealed until the Holy Spirit, and I certainly believe the Holy Spirit working in the church is taken out of the way. We're told that he can't be revealed until the restrainer is taken out of the way. We believe the restrainer is the Holy Spirit and how is the restrainer taken out of the way? Most people sort of think, well, if the Holy Spirit isn't here, how how's anybody going to be converted? Well, hold on a minute. It says the Holy Spirit's going to be taken out of the way. It didn't say he's going to be taken off the earth. It's a little bit like John coming down here and saying, Colin, just move to the side, will you? Get over here. Okay, now let me do what I've got to do. So I've been taken out of the way, but I'm still here. It's not the idea that the Holy Spirit is somehow dragged away. He's taken out of the way. And can you just imagine what this world would be like, even right now, with the things that are going on uh, morally, here in Australia, right around the Western world, if you took every Christian away from this earth and you took away all of those who stand up for what is righteous, what is godly, what is just, take all of those out of the way. I don't know 
if we can understand just how bad this world would be if there weren't those people who would stand up for what is right. So Antichrist can't be revealed until the Holy Spirit, and we believe it's the Holy Spirit working in the church, is taken out of the way. We'll be gone. That that good influence will be gone. The Holy Spirit, though, will still be here. So they're all issues that we can cover at another time. As I draw this to a close today, you may say, well, the rapture, so what? What, what, what do we need to work out from the rapture? The first thing is we need to be ready. You must be a Christian to be part of the rapture. Now, I'm, I'm not somebody who tries to frighten people into the kingdom. I think that's a waste of time. But I'm somebody who believes in telling the truth. And the scripture says, unless you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Saviour, you are not saved. And if you die, you do not go to be with the Lord in heaven. You go to Hades, to the place of waiting of the unsaved dead. There is no other hope after this life. This is the opportunity we have. Now is the day of salvation, said Paul. So you must be a Christian to take place, uh, take part in the rapture. And you might say, well, my parents are Christians. Does that include me? No. Not unless you're a very small child who hasn't reached the age of accountability yet. As soon as you reach that age of understanding when you know right from wrong and you know godliness from ungodliness and God's word from what's not God's word and sin from righteousness, you become accountable. I don't know exactly what that that age is. I think it varies according to the individual child but we're all accountable for our own sin. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 to 9 says this, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to be ready. Secondly, we need to be pure. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but you know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. So there's the challenge to us. We don't know what our glorified bodies will be like, but we know that when Christ comes, we shall be like him, We're going to see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. So there's the challenge to how we live, folks. You see, it doesn't really matter Sunday morning, Sunday night services, getting together with friends, putting on the smile, looking the part, dressing as if we, you know, everything is just sweet. What matters is what we're doing when we're by ourselves. What matters is what we do when we're in our homes, behind closed doors. What matters is, husbands, how you talk to your wives. Wives, how you respect your husband, perhaps. It's how we are really. And the challenge to us is to be pure. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. It's a process, and we're called to work on it just as he is pure. Here's the third thing. We need to be watching. Uh, I love this one from Titus, Titus chapter 2, 11 to 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God, and Saviour Jesus Christ. 
So we should be watching. We should be looking down, as it were, the eons of time, even past the rapture to that second coming of Christ. Look right down and see. We're a little part of a big story. But it's important to us individually to make sure that our part in the story is very clearly settled in our relationship with the Lord. Be watching. And then the last one is be confident. Share the good news of salvation with other people because Jesus is coming again. He's going to come at a time when nobody's expecting him and he's going to take his people. Then there's going to be seven years of tribulation upon the earth and then we're going to come back with him from heaven as the Lord Jesus returns to claim his kingdom upon the earth and set up that millennial kingdom. It's a wonderful story. It's not a child's story. It's not a fairy tale. Jesus is not a fairy tale. This is the word of Almighty God. And the challenge to us is to uh, to do these things, to be ready, to be pure, to be watching, but certainly to be confident and to share it with our family and friends. Jesus is coming again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing that we have of having your word. Your word is just a fountain of knowledge and understanding and blessing to us. And then, Father, your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, to open our mind, to open our understanding, to prepare us so that we will be the people that you call us to be. That when you come, Lord, we won't be ashamed. That we will be ready for that upward call in Christ. Lord, we know that you have a great plan and purpose and our short lives here upon the earth is just a a short time, but there is eternity standing before us. The decisions we make now affect all of eternity. So please bless us, Lord, that our faith may be firmly in our Lord Jesus Christ. Please encourage us in the knowledge that Jesus is coming again for us and then coming back with us. And then encourage us, Heavenly Father, to live each day in the light of these things that you show us from your word. May you be glorified in our lives. We commit ourselves to you and we say thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the great revelation of your word. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, yep. Okay, Lakeside in the morning. I'm going to be having the same message that I had here last Sunday morning. Why Israel matters to the church. It's important that everybody understands that particular topic. Sunday night. Sunday night, it'll be Your Kingdom Come, and what we'll be talking about there is the Book of Daniel, and uh, we're going to look how three times God revealed to Daniel kingdoms that were yet to come. And uh, uh, in the, these are earthly kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, terrible kingdoms. The kingdom of Antichrist comes into mention and then there's this one last kingdom that comes and destroys all of what was before and becomes the everlasting kingdom. Daniel foretold the coming of Christ and the establishment of the everlasting kingdom. And uh, it's fascinating. There's a lot of detail in that one as well. There'll be notes again on Sunday night uh, because there's so much detail, but that's a really... I, I love that message. So yeah, notes are available from tonight, unless you've remembered everything. <laughs> I didn't. Um, are there any of the Bible study requests that you mentioned the other day? I only had one with me, oh, okay. and the lady took it back to New Zealand, actually. Could you tell people about that? Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to. Uh, 
some of our, our staff members from the United States travelled to Israel in uh, uh, just at the beginning of 2020, just before everything blew up. And uh, they filmed a series there called The Common Thread. And they wrote a, a Bible study plus the videos that they filmed there on the subject of the common thread. And what is the common thread? The common thread is that God started with the nation of Israel, with the Jews. And he made a promise, uh, an unconditional promise, he made to uh, Abraham or Abraham as we've come to, to know him. And that unconditional promise uh, is reflected all the way through the history of the Jews. It comes into the New Testament and it goes right into the uh, the um, eternal uh, kingdom that is that is before us. So that study traces it through. There are eight studies in total. There's 15 minutes of video that goes with it, and then there's the study uh, booklet, and it's got different parts. So you can have a look at the the geography of the area. You can have a look at the theology of of the teaching. Uh, there are te- uh, there's questions to do as a group. There's questions you can do uh, by yourself. Uh, it's a wonderful study. I did it with our church. Uh, we had 115 people do that study. And uh, people came to me afterwards and they said, this has been a, the most amazing study. Now, uh, if you're interested in doing that study, uh, I, I only bought one sample book and it's gone back to New Zealand now. The, the young lady who was here the other day took it. Uh, but we can get copies to you without any problems at all. Can they be purchased from the website? Yes, that's how we get them. The uh, okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and, and, and if you're wondering about why I'm not mentioning some of these things, our, our new website's only been uh, up and running for a couple of months. FOI, that's not Freedom of Information, by the way. <laughs> Friends of Israel. FOIAustralia.org. And if you go on there, uh, you'll be able to find those, those studies. If you can't, contact me. I'll get them for you and we can get them sent right up here to you. And there are books and resources available here? Yes. I'm guessing will also be available on the website? Uh, yes, yes, of course. And, and many more than we've got here. This is just a little sample we've got here. Uh, last Sunday night we opened up for some uh, questions. Yep. Uh, have you do that again? Yeah, certainly. <laughs> so, um, questions, perhaps about what uh, Colin has spoken about. So if there's a burning question that you'd like to ask Colin and you feel There's a sense in which you won't be happy unless something... cannot save anybody. All you can do is point them to the Saviour. Salvation is a work of God and uh, by your own life, by your own behaviour, your own activity, your words, etc., you can give them uh, an example. You can can show them what it's like to be a Christian. Uh, You can answer questions. You can take the opportunity to speak. I used to say to people in our congregation, uh, what you need to do is pray that God will give you an opening. Please, God, give me an opening. And please help me to be responsive so that when that opening comes, I'll know what to say. Now, it's not a matter of, okay, somebody gives me an opening, now I've got to tell them everything I know. Uh, It's a matter of somebody gives me an opening and I'm going to share a word of testimony about the Lord. And you do what you can. And if the openings continue to be there, you, you share. But the reality is, you cannot save anybody. I have 
members of my family uh, who passed away before I became a Christian. Uh, all I can say is a long time ago I had to determine to leave that to God. Uh, I, I cannot be responsible for somebody else's salvation. Uh, God calls on me to share my faith, but at the time when they died, I, I didn't have this faith. So I, 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 I can't even say anything about that. But there are others in the family, you try to share with them and they, they don't want to hear. Yeah. So don't, don't, not, don't, uh, now see, that's what I'm about to say. Don't beat yourself up. Well, you shouldn't. Because it's not, not your fault if somebody doesn't respond uh, in, in the right way. It's the same thing as if uh, there's a, a, a car accident and uh, you were sitting in the passenger seat and the, the driver uh, wasn't paying attention and, and caused the, the accident. You might have been there, but it wasn't your fault. You weren't driving. You didn't have any control. And uh, that's the situation. But pray, ask God for opportunities to share. Talk with this man who will also help you, I'm sure, to, to uh, learn things that you can do to, to help. I used to say to our people, uh, when you're sharing the gospel, I, this is how I did it, you do your PRs. Two P's, two R's. I'm doing my PR for Christ. Uh, the two P's, a man, uh, God's, God's purpose is that I might have peace and find salvation in Jesus Christ. But man has a problem. There's the second P. God has a remedy. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin. That when somebody places their faith in him, they will be saved. But the other R is response. They have to respond to that. So do your PR as best you can, uh, but realize, you know, it's not up to you. Uh, salvation ultimately is up to, to God. And if somebody's heart is so hard that they don't want God, there's nothing that you're going to say that's going to, going to loosen that, uh, apart from through prayer, of course. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? That was a brief answer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, he's making, uh, having a little, little joke here because he, I was asked a question the other day. It was a short question and it took me 10 minutes to answer it. That's what it was. No, no. Uh, their tribulation begins. Now, there's the rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church, the Antichrist will start to be revealed. Whether he's known as the Antichrist at that time or not, we don't know, but he will start to be revealed. And he will make a covenant with Israel that for seven years he will guarantee their security, their freedom. He allows them to worship. Uh, the building of a, of a new temple, the starting off of temple worship, and the scripture says three and a half years later, he then comes and he stops it. He goes into that very temple and he says, now, I want the worship. This is my temple. Uh, I'm God incarnate. You must worship me. Three and a half years after that, we've got the second coming. When Christ comes back, the battle that is known as Armageddon will take place at the end of the tribulation period Christ destroys his enemies and comes back to rule upon the earth. No, no, no. It's after the rapture, but we don't know how long after. Sometimes people say, well, it's it's from the rapture of the church, but that's not, not the indication from the scripture. The indication from the scripture is from the signing of the covenant. It's a seven-year period. Folks, um, just letting you know that if you can't remember everything that's been said today, <laughs> uh, the recording will be up on the uh, Ashland Baptist website and you can download it or listen to it online. Also, Sunday morning's message. But those from the other bar, Bayside, don't listen to Sunday morning's message before <laughs> Sunday, okay? Uh, that's not a thing now. Um, <laughs>
what your plan is for us and for the world. And so, Father, we say thank you. I pray that you will watch over us as we go home. Lord, give us good rest for what lies ahead tomorrow. Hmm. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.